0: That's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about God's glory. And what in the world is that? Well, we're, we're, going to, we're going to flesh it out a little bit. Um, we are on the, the second book of Chronicles. It was basically kind of just one book, and they split it apart. Uh, second Chronicles starts off with, with, with Solomon building David's temple, building his father's temple. Uh, David's an amazing guy. I love David, and he's kind of an open book. Like, there really is, like, what you see is what you get with David, in my opinion. I really feel like I know the guy. I, I do. I just feel like I know him. I know his personality. I know his character. It's like I could almost even, like, guess his next actions. But I can't necessarily say that with Solomon. Solomon, in my opinion, is he is the one of the most... Mysterious figures in the Bible, like he—I don't understand him. He is a—he is a mystery. He's an enigma, and I want to know. I want to know more about him. And so, kind of what we're going to be doing on today, and then the next three weeks in in, in this in this series, we're going to have a we're going to have a mini series inside of the series. Because like we've how we focused on David, now we're going to focus on Solomon. We're going to be jumping out of the biblical order of the books, and we're going to be going more along the theme and more along uh, the chronological um, uh, narrative of the books. So today, Second Chronicles, we're looking in looking into some of uh, Solomon's installation, and he wrote, or at least were attributed to him, are three books. Uh next week we're going to be looking we're going we're going to go over his first book which is the Song of Songs and you need to be praying for me because this is the one that I am dreading. This is I have never preached on this. I don't want to and it, it is uh I'll give you a little teaser. Uh Song of Songs is ancient erotic love poetry and I don't want to preach on it. I did uh, my 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 uh inner junior high boy is going to manifest, and I'm going to get the giggles on the pulpit. And so this is the one you don't want to miss. It's either going to be amazing, you're going to have the most incredible experience with God, or it's going to be comedy, because I don't, it's going to be tough, I'm going to tell you. I'm not going, going to censor myself on this one. But uh, in his early years, I mean, as a young man, he wrote this, this erotic poetry. Why is it in the Bible? We'll talk about that. I mean, it shouldn't be. <laughs> so, <laughs> but there's a reason. We'll, we'll, we'll flesh that out. Uh, and then in his, uh, you know, in his middle years, when he was really at, at the height of, of his power and influence, and at the top of his game, he wrote Proverbs. And you've got to get Proverbs into your heart you just, I mean, Proverbs will, Proverbs can save your life. Proverbs can save your marriage. Proverbs can rear your children. She is beautiful. You have to get Proverbs into your life. And then in his twilight years, he writes Ecclesiastes. So there's three books that he's attributed to in his life, and they're all different themed, And they are so in-depth and amazing. And One of the reasons we have more material on that that Solomon has written than David has written. And what's amazing about him, in my opinion, is that, as we'll see when we get into this, he is the wisest man that had ever lived and ever will live, according to the scriptures. He gets, uh, I'll just hit it right now. He gets downloaded. He, he, uh, in 2 Chronicles chapter 1, uh, his first encounter with God is in a dream. He goes to Geboa. Uh, uh He's going to, he has to go to the tent shrine. He has to go to the altar. The altar is in one place. Uh, the Ark of the Covenant is, is in Jerusalem, so all of God's toys are kind of scattered out all around, all over everywhere. And so he's He's gonna start to bring these things back together. He's going to centralize worship. He's going to build a temple. And so he's beginning to gather his pieces. And so he is at uh, Moses' old tent shrine with the old altar and all the other artifacts that they had there. And as he's sacrificing and in the night, as he's up on this high place, he goes into a deep dream and and God asks him, what do you want? Isn't that an incredible thing? And this is why Solomon is so important. Because he says, I want wisdom and knowledge in order for me to govern your vast people. And that was the right answer. And God is very pleased with Solomon's answer, with Solomon saying, You know what? I want wisdom. And God says, Wow, that's, I'm impressed. Because most guys and gals, they're asking for shoes, and gals see that? I know. Um, they, they, they want wealth, they want power, they want long life, they want toys. See, this is what most people ask for. They want to win the lottery. I've got news for you. If you're praying to win the lottery, it's not going to happen. And if it does, don't forget your church. Yeah. But that's what, most, that's what we think that, okay, you know what? You know, God, if I won the lottery, I would give you Half of my earnings, is what that's what we say, right? It's, it's the, it's, there's problems, right, all in that. But we've, we, we laugh, but we hear stuff like this in the ministry quite often, actually. Um, anyway, uh, so he asks for wisdom. God says, this is good. I can work with a guy like this, because he didn't ask for, you know, women and money and all these power, all this kind of stuff. But yet, he gets it. God says, oh, you want wisdom? I will give you wisdom. I will give you knowledge because your, your intentions and your impulses and your motivations are true. They are right. This is good. This is good behavior. And in addition to that, I am going to make you very rich and you are going to live long and you are going to be successful. So he gets he gets everything. Jesus talks about this. Jesus talks about this attitude and the condition of the heart in Matthew chapter 5. It says, uh, um, um, you know, the Lord knows what you need before you ask him. Isn't that Isn't that a cool thing? God knows what your needs are, and you just need to get your heart into the right position to ask him for the stuff in the right way. And so, um, you know, what, what's 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 the formula? The formula is, seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. But Lord, I need money to pay my rent. Seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. But God, you don't understand. I'm lonely and I'm depressed. And it would really make me feel like a full person if I had a boyfriend and a girlfriend or a spouse. And Jesus would say to you, you seek First, the kingdom of heaven, and all of these things will be added unto you. This is, Solomon did this before Jesus existed. Well, Jesus existed. That doesn't make sense, does it? Before Jesus was incarnate in flesh, okay, it was a, a, thousand, you know, a thousand years before Jesus came around, uh, Solomon knew how to follow Jesus' instruct, instructions, and he does it. It's, it's an amazing thing, all right? Now, what, 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 it's, what's, what happens when Solomon gets wisdom? I wish this would have happened to me in school because he gets it all. It is like all the, all not just wisdom, but he gets knowledge, like, like downloaded into him like a computer. Like, you know, that... Uh, um, uh, like the Matrix. Remember the Matrix when Neo learns how to do kung fu, and it just gets downloaded into him, and all these, other, all these other things get downloaded into him? It is exactly what happens to Solomon. He learns everything, and what it says is that he knows everything about the plant life, and he knows everything about animals, And so he understands biology, and it says that he knew everything about the celestial spheres. So he knows everything about astronomy and physics. And so he was able to get all of this stuff in addition to being able to govern people and and able to handle money. He got it all. And everybody wanted to get around him because he was the smartest guy on the planet. Wouldn't that be an amazing thing? Wouldn't it? I mean... I have to, like, work for, you know, my brain power, but he didn't have to work for it. He just got it. And here's the thing. This is, I'm going to geek out on you. I'm going to get, I'm just going to be a little bit of history on you. And just because I, I can't help myself, but this is around 900 BC and, um, uh, around 900 BC, he begins. People begin to come in, like like the, like the Queen of Sheba, and people from, from Babylon, and probably from the West. They're all they're all they're all coming in. They're going to sit at Solomon's feet so they can understand what he's what they want to they want to glean off of him. They want to be able to get some wisdom off of him. And then in 722, as we'd learned earlier, um, the northern kingdom gets gets taken away. It's one like it's part of the diaspora. It's the dispersion of the Jews, and it happens to them quite often. Um, but they get they get hauled off to they get hauled off to um, Assyria, and then in 586, the Babylonians come in and they haul off the southern kingdom of Judah, and um, they take all of the very smart people, all the people in the court, even the king himself, and they sit the king at Nebuchadnezzar's table. And they all, what what am I getting at here? All of Solomon's information, all of his knowledge is being injected into the world, is is beginning to disseminate. Historically, in five hundred, around five hundred, there is a there is an intellectual explosion in the world. It, it's like a Cambrian explosion. There's just uh, historians; they can see it. It just there's something that happens in five hundred BC where the entire planet just goes from it goes from. Um, you know, uh, using little, uh, this, this is an illustration, but like, you like, know, you know, counting, adding up on paper, and then going into computers. In 500, uh, the Greeks begin to mess around with philosophy. In 500, Confucius begins to, uh, he's actually saying the same things that Solomon is saying. In 500, uh, 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 Buddha. I mean, and I don't think of this in a religious way because Buddhism starts off as a philosophy of life. Uh, Buddha is saying the same stuff that Solomon is saying. And where did they get it? So I have this theory, and I can't prove it. And I, it, I just, there's not enough information for me to even write a paper on it. But I'm just going. To, I'm going ahead and just abuse my position right now. I think they all got it from Solomon. I think that, that, that Socrates pulled from Solomon's teachings. I think that Confucius pulled from Solomon's teachings. And there's um, when, when people, when they look at the teachings of Jesus and then they compare them to some of the Eastern teachings, it's like, wow, that, they're kind of similar. And there's all these really weird conspiracy theories that Jesus went to India and he sat under yogis and they taught him the true way, and that's just not true. They were the truth that they that they do teach. It comes from the Word of God. I think for me that's fascinating. And if if Jesus did go to India, because it doesn't, there's you know there's a whole section of his life where he goes silent and we don't know what he did. And if he did go to India, um, if anything, he was teaching them. It wasn't the other way around. All right. So thank you for indulging me. uh, That that part is over. But my point is, is that what happened with Solomon changed the world. This one moment in time where he gets downloaded all this information, it changed the world. And for me, that's fascinating. But at the end, Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. The wisest man on the planet that he wrote so much, he actually started our tradition of wisdom literature. Wisdom literature. And he does some really stupid things. He does evil on the eyes of the Lord, and he 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 gets seduced by uh, his wives' religions. That's well, that's that's the that's the that's the sneak peek there. But all right, uh, we're gonna look today. Get your Bibles out, and I'm gonna probably the most famous uh, verse that we like to read when we read Second Chronicles is uh, chapter seven. And this is when uh, chapter seven, verse 13. Uh, this is, Solomon had two major encounters with God. Both of them were in the night. God, it, God will, he likes to uh, engage with us I guess, I don't know, are you a night person or are you a morning person? It depends, right? So God will work with you or whatever, if you're a night owl or a morning person. But he likes to work with Solomon in the night. And he says this to him in a dream. He says, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or I command locusts to devour the land or to send plagues among my people, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. This is such a good verse for us right now. This is a good one for us to remember and just in the situation that our country's in. If we turn from our evil ways, if we repent, if we ask for forgiveness, forgiveness is actually the key to this whole thing. Then, then from heaven, it's, it's this, as if... Um, it's like God can't hear our prayers unless they go to heaven, does that make sense? Like, we can pray all day long, but are they, are, are they getting to heaven? Like, he can't hear them if they stay here in the dirt. So, how do you push your prayers up into heaven? See, that's the only way that he can really hear and act, and act on our prayers is if they get put into, a, if you will, a bowl that, that is in heaven. And so, he's going to hear our cries. He is going to forgive us of our sins. And this is what we need to have right now. We need to have our land healed. Our, our whole political landscape. Uh, even at this, this is even talking about just even the, the agriculture itself. And we've actually seen that. We've seen God come in and not only save communities, but just bring them economic revival just through, through agriculture. I mean, we even need an economic a spiritual stimulus package in our economy right now, don't we? And we can pray for this stuff and we can see it happen. Alright. So Solomon uh, he is he is given the commission, he is given the charge to build David's temple. Now, just like, like Solomon gets all this knowledge, all this wisdom, uh, the ability to uh, be you know, the ultimate Renaissance man, um, it is David who was given the plans, the blueprints, the resources, the money, the desire to build god 's temple, to build god 's temple for for God he actually He, he wanted to build it for God. I, it was kind of a strange you get, you get to see david 's heart. you get to see the character of this man he um, He actually felt guilty. That God had to be uh, carried around in a, in a gold, little golden box, and you know, his his temple was this old raggedy tent, and so he felt ashamed that uh, you know he lived in this palatial palace, yet God lived in this you know in this rickety pop up tent. Interesting, huh? That, that was his, kind of his motivation and his drive for that. And so Solomon has given it. He actually pulls it off. He's got everything that he needs. Dad has laid it all out for him. All he's got to do is get the workers and start swinging some picks, And it happens. And the thing goes up. It goes up in, I believe, seven years. And it is glorious. And so um, it, it wasn't huge, um, but it was a Fabergé egg. The whole inside uh, was lined in, in gold. All the walls and the ceiling, pure gold. And it, it almost, it al- it almost um, uh, imbo- it represents the Ark of the Covenant. Inside are two cherubim. If you remember, the Ark of the Covenant had two angels on the top on its lid where the, where the, where the wings were almost touching. Well, inside of the temple where these two giant angels uh, right in front of the Holy of Holies and their wings were, very, were touching in the middle and they were touching on the walls and they were probably some 25 feet high. It would have been, it would have just been amazing. And the, they had windows in it and so the light would have came in, it would have hit the gold and it, just would, it would have taken your breath away. And the whole, the way that it was designed, it was designed with pomegranates and palm trees and angels and in nature. And the, the reason why is because it it was hearkening back to the Garden of Eden of, of God dwelling with His people. And so this is what the, this was the attempt is like: How do we get God to want to dwell with us again? How do we get God to 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 live among us again. And so this is kind of like man's attempt to do it. I think it's fascinating. And so uh, he brings it all in. And uh, in chapter six, this is interesting to me. Um, Let's go up to chapter five real quick. Chapter five, verse 11. The priest withdrew from the holy place, and all the priests that had consecrated it. Da, 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 that's not what I want. All right, we'll up to seven. Okay, the priests brought the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord uh, to its place in the inner sanctuary of the temple, the most holy place, and they put it beneath the wings of the cherubim. Those are the angels. The cherubim's wings over the place of the ark, and they covered the ark and its uh, carrying poles. These poles were uh, so long that the ends extended from the ark and could be seen in the front of the inner sanctuary, but not outside of the holy place. And they are there today. Okay, not really, but uh, when this was written, it was. Okay, Um, there was nothing in it except two tablets that Moses had placed there at Horeb. And the Lord made a covenant with the Israelites after they came out of Egypt. The priests withdrew from the holy place, and all the priests that were there, they consecrated themselves uh, regardless of their divisions. All the Levites were musicians, and um, I'll skip because we don't need to know all about them. Okay, and then they sang the song. Okay, this is important. They, all, the, all the priests, the Levites... They, they all had jobs to do. They all, it says they're all getting along. They're all being nice to each other. And they say this, He is good and his love endures forever. And so they declare this and they, and they push this, this statement up into heaven. And then the temple of the Lord was filled with a cloud and the priests could not perform their service because the cloud of the glory of the Lord it filled the temple. This is amazing. I, I pray for the day when I come to church and I can't do my job because God's presence is so thick. Wouldn't that be an amazing thing if I couldn't do my job? That's what's going on. They know what they're supposed to do, but they can't because God's presence is so dense. What did this look like? I just, I, you just turn your imaginations on for a second. You are in a pure, it was probably close to maybe the size of this building. And just think of it, the walls are pure gold. You have a ton of natural light come in. And then all of a sudden, the presence and the glory of God shows up. And it just magnifies everything. And you just can't do anything. Like, it's almost as if your body shuts down. This what happens to these guys. And I don't understand this, and I need to. Then Solomon said, The Lord said that he would dwell in a dark cloud. What does that mean? I mean, this is the same experience that, that Moses had. Moses went into the darkness. I mean, the best that I can come up with is that God's kind of mysterious at times and he's kind of scary. Scary in a good way, he's not evil. But we just, we, we can't grasp him. There's just not enough of us to understand a fraction of him. And so there's, um, you've got to be willing to go into the unknown when you want to encounter God. Solomon says, I have built a magnificent temple for you, a place for you to dwell forever. We're going to skip over to verse 18. This is chapter 6, verse 18. Solomon says, because now he's wise, but will God really dwell on earth with men? The heavens, even the highest heavens, they cannot contain him. How much less this temple that I have built? Yet give attention to your servant's prayer and his plea for mercy, O Lord, my God. Hear the cry and the prayer that your servant is praying in your presence. May your eyes be opened toward this temple day and night, this place on which you said you would put your name there. May you hear the prayer your servant prays toward this place. What's Solomon saying? He's saying, again, he's a smart guy, and I think we all get this. You can't put God in a box. And so he's coming to the realization that I can't, it's a silly thought for me to think that I can build God a house because not only this can heaven not contain god the highest heavens can't contain god and so all that the temple is it's a place for his name and his glory shows up and it's a place for his name how am i doing not so good okay <laughs> All right, let's move on to the good part. So I got to wrap it up. So, I think we all it would be silly for us to say that Granite Creek is is God's house where God lives, and we need to make sure that we bring, you know, we take care of God's house and we paint it and all that kind of stuff. That's, I mean, I think the modern person kind of gets that. Like, you can't, you can't put God in a box, and Solomon was getting it. But there's something, well, there's something special about this place. About Granite Creek, there is, and if you've been to Israel, oh my goodness, there is something special about that land, and there's something special about Jerusalem, and there's very and there's something very special about the the Temple Mount, and you don't you really can't quite understand it, and you're just like I don't got what it's, what's going on. I don't under. I, Help me understand. And what I believe that, you know, what's, what's the purpose of this? Because the temple and the kingship, these are all mass innovations that the Israelite people were not necessarily used to, or maybe they didn't even want, because they were used to experiencing God in a certain way on their terms. So why do we need to, why do we need to spend all this money to build this big, giant temple for you? Wow, I'm so glad that we have it. Because what Paul says is that we now are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And you know if the temple maybe represents the ark where God's word and His name lived in it, and where His presence was there in it, and the, and the temple is like that,'s like that box too, where God's presence is ushered in and where God's presence rests inside of it. Uh, our bodies are the same way. The glory of God pours into a building where they can literally see it. Remember the day of Pentecost where they're upstairs in some apartment building and the glory of God shows up and they can literally see tongues of fire uh, resting on people. It's the same type of thing. The glory of God is when we experience a a dimension, a reality, uh, a trueness of who God is and God's ways. And His ways, they're not our ways. And we need to surrender our ways to His ways. And I, I think Back to the, my, the beginning, the introduction of this message. I wanna believe in the God of the Bible and I wanna base my life on it, not on an interpretation of the Bible. I wanna, I, I'm gonna, when, when the Bible says that God's glory fills the temple and he does it in an ancient building and then when Paul says, you know what? Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and it can receive the same glory. Well, see, that's true. And the, uh, the thing that we need to understand about God's glory being manifest inside of us is that it is supernatural. When God heals a physical condition, when God saves us from our sin, when God moves us into um, a new destiny, that is, that, that is kingdom of heaven being manifested. And that only happens When God's glory is revealed and through the scriptures, God's glory is only revealed when there are miracles and signs and wonders happening. And Jesus said it himself. Jesus was the most amazing Bible teacher that we've ever had. He could quote scripture right off the top of his head. Like his teachings amazed everybody. Everybody wanted to listen to Jesus teach. But they only believed him, and they only followed him, and they were only willing to you know, sacrifice their own very lives to the cause when they saw him perform miracles and signs and wonders. And Jesus himself says, uh, you don't have, if I don't do miracles, you don't have to believe a word I say. If there is no glory coming from my lifestyle, then you don't have to subscribe to what I'm selling. Isn't that amazing? And so for us, what does that look like? How do I get God's glory inside of us? Now, the part that I am not able to get to is Solomon's ability to tap into excellence. He's able to manifest uh, God's glory in ways that, that, that are very interesting to me. That, that, that idea that it attracted the entire world to him. Solomon did that. And we're going to have to talk about that on Wednesday night. I'm sorry. So if I get the band, the ushers come to the front. And as they're on their way up, maybe I can put a little bit of a cap on it. I want you to think about this. If your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, if Solomon went into all of these detailed, um, uh, following the rules, not the rules, but being very detailed-minded, being committed to excellence, making sure that all of everything was done in perfection, uh, how does that Translate into your own personal life. If you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, what is, I, this is very difficult. This I'm probably preaching to myself, but what is one thing this week that you can do that would be excellent? Uh, Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, uh, My Father is perfect. This is one of the words that we don't like that Jesus says. My Father is perfect, therefore be perfect. He got, Jesus is, at, is telling us to be perfect. You know how impossible that is? But wouldn't it be amazing if there was just one thing in our life that was perfect, that could give glory to God? Maybe it is making your bed. <laughs> Why not? Because Solomon displayed God's glory by setting a table for Queen of Sheba. And she was blown away by how he laid the forks and the knives and the plates. And she was like, wow, God is with you. Isn't that interesting? Think about that. How can I represent God's glory this week? How how can I change my, my paradigm where I can actually see God if he showed up? Where I could hear God if he was actually speaking to me? Because he is. We're just, we're just on the wrong frequency. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for a day where we get to celebrate with our church family, where we get to baptize people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, where they get to make their public declarations in front of their faith, for their friends and family. And so God, we just pray that this, this day would be sacred. This day will be holy, but this day will be unto you, and that we will see this life as as yours, and that our ways are not your ways. And I pray that we just begin to walk in your ways, that we will see a new light, that we will see your truth, and that when we ask for wisdom, we'll get it. When we pray, our prayers are answered. When we walk and when we minister to people, they're set free. That's the God that we choose to serve. So God, make yourself real to us this week. In your name, amen.